Hey everybody, welcome to Samosa Caucus. This is Rags. This is Salas. And today we're talking about the evolution of South Asian organizations that we've seen. And also we're going to talk about a pretty interesting conference that I went to last week. And also, uh, we will be doing a pardon the interruption type take. I don't know how it's going to work out on a podcast, but uh, we're going to give it a shot. Let's let's see how that works out. Do you want to kick us off with... Uh, with some of the orgs and stuff that we've both kind of seen over the years and, uh, you know, take it from there. Sure. So started off, we had at college at Stanford, we had South Asian org that, and that the Valley show type situation that I think is pretty standard. Was it called the Indian Student Association or? Uh, it was called Sanskriti. Was it a umbrella org or do you guys have like, uh, do you guys just have one org or how, how did it, uh, how was it set up? I think there was more service oriented South Asian org that I was a part of, but that, I mean, the main one was Sanskriti by far. And I think you had a similar situation too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I've... Uh... I've seen a, a range of things in college. Um, yeah, we could we could do each one. So my college experience was uh, at Purdue. We had uh, the Indian Student Association, uh, and then I think about junior year they started uh, SASA, which was the South Asian Student Alliance, and uh, that was it, it was the split between the FOBs and the ABCDs. Uh, pretty much uh, that happened. And that was kind of going on in the Midwest. Uh, the time I was in college, uh, there was also a well-documented kind of a public fallout at the University of Michigan where there was a Indian-American uh, guy who wanted to be a part of the board or the, he wanted to run for president. And the ISA basically said, no, you're not Indian enough to run as part of the board. Uh, and so the, uh, they broke off into the Indian American Student Association and the Indian Student Association. <laughs> and the SASA ISA split was similar. Uh, anyone who was uh, Indian American pretty much was a part of SASA, which is South Asian Student Alliance. And then the Indian Student Association was being run by a group of people who essentially were running it as their private club, kind of. Uh, uh, there was a group of people who, who ran it. They were all from uh, Bombay, I believe. Uh, and uh, for a few years, they kind of, it, it wasn't... It, it was an interesting, let's just say it was an interesting period. That's always the challenge is the, whether it's a community, so it's supposed to be welcoming to new people, or whether it's more of a exclusive club that people use for, try to exclude others and try to say, oh, I'm the president, I'm the vice president of this, of this thing is kind of like a resume builder or a credibility booster or whatever they think it is but yeah 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 i mean that's that's there's a good point because uh one of the things that i realized um one of the other podcasts that we both uh listen to the seen and the unseen and so recently i've been listening to that and stuff about indian politics so that's specifically uh indian politics uh politics in india and uh what it it struck me that uh the governance of that group or that organization was very similar to how Indian politics were in that it was kind of a popularity contest. It wasn't really based on uh, adding full value to the students. And so the most popular kids were on the board or running it uh, up there. And really, you didn't have any opportunity. Like, nobody had any opportunity to kind of stand up uh, against that group of people and be able to win in a democratic manner. It was just determined by themselves that they just didn't stand down like the whole time we were in college. Uh, and I remember because I, you know, I stayed an extra semester in college, a good friend of mine took over and he realized that they, before they left, they basically bankrupted the org. Uh, they threw like a massive party for, uh, at the end of their four year term and kind of just threw this big house party and they just uh, drained all the funds. So when he came in, he had almost nothing to work with. Uh, which was an interesting situation. Uh, but then uh, well, I was going to tell you, like, uh, my uh, after that I was in San Diego, and when I started dating my wife, she was at UCSD, and uh, and they had an interesting setup. It was similar to uh, what you had at Stanford. They had something called Sangam, and it was kind of this umbrella org where there were there were other all these other associations like the Hindu Student Council, Sikh Student Association, the Muslim Student Association. They had you know Asha, uh, which is you know a nonprofit, and all these little groups were part of this big group of Sangam, and so Sangam got funds and then they doled it out to people. 
people. And it was kind of a lot more democratic. And, and it, it was it was kind of different, too, because at UCSD, like you had a, a larger portion of Indian Americans uh, and then you had you, you did have like uh, Indian students as well. But everyone kind of came under this org and uh, kind of played uh, nice with each other uh, the way I saw it. Um, and so that was a different kind of take on things. I, I hadn't seen that when I was in college. So I, I have no idea how things are now. But I know, uh, you know, they have like a Garba dance group. They have like a a uh, Bhangra group. They'll have, uh, you know, Hindi film dance groups. They, so they, I mean, I, I think there's a lot more in terms of like diversity of different kinds of clubs. Uh, so it, it, you know, it'd be good to explore that at some point. Um, but like moving on from there, uh, the other thing that uh, both of us were uh, a part of, uh, I think, at, at different times. And when I was in San Diego, I, I was uh, a big part of it. I was on the board and stuff was uh, NEDIP, uh, the Network of Indian Professionals. It, at NEDIP also, uh, even though it was called NEDIP nationally, at some point it was also called NETSAP which was Network of South Asian Professionals, to be more inclusive. So NETSAP, actually, I think the national organization was never called NETSAP. It was, so DC and Boston rebranded as NETSAP. Right, so individual chapters took it upon themselves to kind of rebrand to be more inclusive. But uh, overall, I think the national org still stayed NETIP, which is now uh, defunct. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit of a NETIP nerd. So I think you were, you were definitely more involved in South Asian stuff in college than I was. And I think as far as NetUp goes, I, I think I was more involved than you were. I actually yes, have, yes, I think we're fair. Uh, went to three uh, national conferences as representing the Philadelphia chapter. So I was... You, we were, you were president for those three years, is that right? Um, I was president in 2011 and 2012. And I think I was, I had some roles, 2008, 2009, 2010. I, yeah, I had some good experiences. I made some great great friends um, through NetUp. Um, it, it was, I think it worked well as a community. They always tried to say at like the, the chapter conference uh, where all the chairs of all the different chapters come together, they try to say that social was not one of the four pillars of NetUp. And I think the four pillars were the civic awareness, community service, professional development, and there was a fourth one that I'm blanking on. Now. The fourth one is probably IndianDating.com before IndianDating.com. <laughs> See, that's the thing is that <laughs> that was not an official thing, but that's what NetUp did well. Because at every conference, it would the speed datings would they would be yeah you would pay extra for those tickets and you would pay a ton for those tickets. And I, I I'll say that uh, when I was in San Diego for sure, like we we had a lot of like social events. We actually um, because San Diego at the time uh, two thousand four to eight, uh, the like Indian professionals, you know twenties uh, and even late twenties thirties, uh, there there wasn't really anything else that kind of had that you know we didn't have like the big social networks and we didn't have like we had a void and so we did what we did do well was we you know a lot of us got together played basketball or we would play cricket or we would uh hang out together uh but and it wasn't only uh it wasn't only like uh you know like a hookup scene but a lot of people were trying to like definitely approaching it as a kind of place to find potentially significant others uh we, we and we did do a lot of social events i i don't think we did really very much in terms of professional development, to be honest. Yeah, I think that goes for most chapters. Maybe just uh, New York, D.C., Boston might be a little different because they're bigger chapters, but that goes for the vast majority of chapters. NetUp actually, it's, for some of them, I think the one in D.C. in particular, which isn't too surprising, I think in 2011, they had good speakers come and good panels, but they were sparsely attended. That's not what people were coming to conference. And I think we had a similar kind of experience in Philly, uh, if I remember right. Like we, I remember uh, there was that one year where you became president and then like uh, I was trying to help out as well. And we, we, put, out, we put together some social events uh, and stuff uh, and those were always well attended. And if we ever tried to push the professional angle, uh, there just wasn't enough interest. Uh, nobody really wanted to use a professional organization for a professional organization. They wanted to just do, they, they really liked the social aspect and that's what they used as like a social club. And, uh, and I think that that is ultimately what uh, kind of brought down uh, NetUp itself. I, I think it just, I mean, I think it, 
had its time and it kind of outlived its usefulness. There was one event that was education oriented that I was pretty proud of. I think that was 2012 or 2013. Was that the one uh, in, uh, it was at that brewery, wasn't it? It was like, it was downstairs. Yeah, it was in the basement. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And who who was? uh, Simran Sidhu. Yes, that's right. She was executive director of Youth Build. Yeah, Ami Patel, right. mm-hmm. who I think she was working for the city education department at the that's time. That's right. That's right. And then uh, your your friend Aruna, right? Aruna, yeah. That's Aruna, right. is, uh, yeah. she was uh, she's she's a teacher for a while, and then she was uh, uh, I think in administration for a while, and now she's she's actually in I think she works with the New York schools at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that, there there was also um, a teacher that I made sure was there. Also South Asian, so I think the conversation back and forth was was very good. I, I think one of the topics was charter schools and inner city schools. But anyway, that so I think the last NetUp conference was 2015, and after that they spent all their money and they kind of called it a day. And now I don't even think the last time I checked the NetUp website doesn't even work anymore and hasn't worked for a few years yeah i mean and then there's there's definitely a lot more we i mean we could really spend a lot of time talking about it because i mean since we've been in we'd been involved for a long time and you actually were there um like deeply involved even towards the end um and so uh there's like a lawsuit uh, there was there was all kinds of weird i mean <laughs> yeah. like the the uh that was in the chicago chapter and there was it was uh, really strange. It was a strange end to an organization that shouldn't. I mean, sure, it it may have outlived um, itself uh, or its usefulness, but uh, that was a, it. Was a very uh, it went it went out blazing in this blazing big uh, bonfire where it just kind of fell on itself. It was uh, you, anyone can uh, look it up, and uh, it, it was special. It's definitely special. Maybe maybe yeah. it's worth writing an article about the uh, rise and fall of NetUp. Yeah, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Before we move on to um, last week's event, I w- w- want to bring up one event that both of us were involved in in Philly, which is South Asians for Obama. Oh, yeah. South Asians for Obama. Oh, also, we should mention uh, the couple other orgs, um, because my uh, wife was at uh, Temple, uh, Temple Law. Uh, they had a South Asian... Uh, Law Students Association, which is called Salsa, would have been better if they had come up with a thing for chutney. Uh, I don't know why they picked salsa. <laughs> they should just come up with something. Uh, and then uh, the South Asian uh, Bar Association, which is still quite active, Saba, um, is uh, I, I think it's still doing well, and uh, they got that together. And we we may be missing some uh, other professional groups, but these are yeah. The, I know there's Salt South Asian Americans leading together, yep. and there's also. Saja, which is South Asian Journalists Association. And now, there, now that's the thing about NetUp. When NetUp was created, it was the only thing of its, of its kind. But now... Kind of branched out. And a lot of people have been able to... I think it's, uh, I think it's because also that we've gotten so many uh, better tools like, uh, you know, fa- Facebook, notwithstanding privacy issues. Uh, Facebook did uh, provide a very easy way to maintain a group of people and maintain lists and uh, help people like communicate better. And I think it was it was easier for people to organize these groups uh, and then keep them active. And uh, it didn't take as many resources uh, for governance and things like that. And I think in general, the model they followed was they, even if they started national organizations or they do start national organizations now, um, self-governance is usually how, what the key is. And they're kind of loosely tied together, I, which I don't actually know. Uh, sometimes I'm uh, a little, you know, I go back and forth on it because I feel like all these groups can learn a lot from each other. Uh, and I feel like at this point, point like maybe it's it's more fractured and at some point it again in a way it was building its own echo chambers like you know uh you would have like the lawyers coming together and talking about presumably stuff to do with like south asians in law and then if the journalists came in like and i would imagine that there there's enough overlap and people can learn more from each other if there was more interaction and i don't know if there are those opportunities that are out there right now but um it's definitely something that maybe uh, these things are worth uh, looking at uh but yeah like the uh, the other thing is uh, uh, South Asians for Obama, as you were saying, uh, that was that was interesting. Uh, it was an interesting event as well. Uh, we met. Um, we met. Uh, we met a senator, didn't we? Casey was there. Yeah, and it, Nina Ahmad, who finished second in the lieutenant governor voting, she was the lead planner, and both of us were on the team. So that was pretty exciting. 
But yeah, kind of transitioning from there, one thing that we really want to talk about in this episode was uh, the forum that you went to uh, or the summit in uh, D.C. recently. Yeah, I've been following this organization just because it looked interesting. It's It was the Impact, Indian Impact, and it seemed like they were getting donations and they were making recommendations for who to vote for. Um, and they did that in a couple different races which I hadn't really seen before. And the person running it... What's his name? Raj Goyle. He represented the 87th district in the Kansas House of Representatives from 2007 to 2011 and was the 2010 Democratic nominee for Kansas's 4th Congressional District. So nowadays, that may not be that big of a deal, but even 8, 10 years ago, just being a member of a state house... And then being a nominee for a red state's congressional district, that was a big deal, even eight years ago. Um, whereas now that we could probably point to 10 different situations that are similar around the country. And since he left uh, the state house, I guess his new effort is is Indian this Indian Impact Organization, uh, where he's the co-chair and co-founder, along with Deepak Raj, who he's a founder and managing director of a private investment firm called Raj Associates. And he's also affiliated with Pratham USA. How long has it been around? They are relatively new. And this was this event was the first event that they threw. So it they had been doing some things behind the scenes, but this is the first event that they're trying to pull people into. So they had some big names, and even so, it was a free event because their idea was they wanted as many people to come as possible. I mean, there were about 200 people there, which you could say is a lot or a little, depending on how you look at it. I think it was a lot of politicians, staffers, people who were interested in politics, people who are like maybe some nonprofit people, maybe some philanthropists. So all these different categories of people were interested and attended the event. And the event had some great panels and great speakers, which I think we can start going into. Yeah, to uh, give you guys an idea of uh, some of the people who were there, Cory Booker, uh, Kamala Harris... Uh, you had Raja Krishnamurti, Ami Bera, Rokarna was there, uh, and the is he the president of Comcast? Yeah, David Cohen. David Cohen. I wasn't able to attend, but I did get a chance to watch uh, some of the uh, speakers' uh, videos that have been uploaded to uh, YouTube. Uh, I, you know, we'll we'll put a link out there uh, and strongly recommend like you guys uh, take a look because uh, these were short uh, speeches, like. Uh, uh, 20 uh, on average about 15 to 20 minutes uh you you did have uh, uh obviously uh, Kamala Harris uh, had a little bit longer and Cory Booker had a little bit longer uh and Pramila Jaypal as well uh who's a congresswoman from uh Washington and it really was eye opening to see how we've kind of made gains o- over the years yeah and it was it was great to see the speakers and the the panelists also talk about contextualize their experience in the sense of being South Asian or being Indian specifically. That's not something that we necessarily see a lot. Um, Pramila Jayapal was talking about her, how her whole upbringing was in India. And then she came over in college. Yeah. She came over when she was 16. Uh, She said when uh, her parents basically uh, spent uh, pretty much all the money they had to send her over uh, uh, and she was 16 when she started here and uh, came to this country. And uh, the other interesting thing that she'd mentioned was um, that it took her 17 years to actually get citizenship. And, uh, you know, the, these are, these are I think, the varied kind of backgrounds of uh, all of these folks and uh, how they've kind of come up is important to kind of note. Kamala Harris, uh, her uh, mom's Indian, her dad is African-American. Her uh, grandfather was a uh, freedom fighter uh, in India. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's really, uh, and I believe uh, Rokan also has uh, a um, um, grandparent who was active uh, in the uh, freedom movement in India. And, and so, you know, it, it I think it's uh, it's telling to see uh, uh, people of South Asian descent like kind of being getting really active in politics nowadays because uh, maybe it's just part of 
you know, something that we've we've brought along uh, with us uh, to this country. And, you know, uh, especially if you're if you're coming in uh, from India, where, you know, democracy is touted as uh, one of our like big kind of general wins and the number of people who vote in elections and uh, the way we kind of approach uh, things. Granted, there, there are things with the Indian democracy that are uh, probably not working as well as they should. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, it's it's a democracy. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's really uh, an interesting uh, thing to see how uh, the background shapes the involvement in other countries or places they've gone to. You're right that they were all using, citing it as a something that influenced them, like Kamala Harris did. Even Cory Booker, actually, he said that the first committee he joined in when he when he joined the, the Senate was the Indian American Committee, which is um, interesting and in that he had Gandhi hanging up on his wall. Right. He said he's, uh, he's got a portrait of uh, Martin Luther King and a portrait of Gandhi on his desk. Uh, um, and yeah, you know, it's uh, they, they did all cite, um, you know, that that kind of uh, background and, you know, where they came from as far as civil rights. But Indian Americans, it seems, have kind of attacked the economic uh, pillar first before attacking the um, civic sphere as like the doctor, lawyer, engineer kind of model, right? Where you you come to this country and uh, you're, you're expected to kind of go into becoming a doctor, lawyer, engineer as the three like respected professions. And a, a lot of, a lot of them spoke about this as well, where going into politics was kind of the road less traveled or even not something that their family was a hundred percent supportive before they were successful. Um, which, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Well, I, I think, I think that's, uh, that's more a consequence of the general immigrant, uh, rule or the, the thought process in India. And, you know, I, I obviously have, uh, having grown up and, uh, in in that kind of uh, general environment uh, where they, uh, my parents definitely, uh, you know, uh, did say, you know, becoming an engineer is something that's a, it's a good idea. It's something that you really should aspire to and uh, encourage me to go in that direction. Uh, I'll say that I didn't appreciate it as much back then. Uh, and now that I'm older and perhaps a little wiser <laughs> than I was uh, back then, uh, I, I harbored uh, for a long time because it wasn't something that came, uh, I, I thought didn't come naturally to me. I had other interests and things like that. But uh, I, I think a lot of it is born out of the need to have a stable kind of safety net for yourself, uh, knowing that these professions were things that were going to give you uh, a, a good kind of fallback plan, even if you needed to do it. And later on, when, when I did uh, mention that, uh, my parents that I, uh, I think I was a point in college, I was like, oh, you know, I took this theater class and I was super excited about it. And I was like, oh man, I really want to go into theater or I want to do like computer graphics or something. And they were like, okay, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but uh, you, you know, if you want to switch, uh, even junior year, I think it was like hard. And they, they said, you could switch out of engineering if you want, but really think about it and consider what you want to do. And uh, I chose to just kind of finish my degree and uh, go at it and go at it hard because I didn't want to kind of let it beat me. Uh, but I think that's what that's what it mainly is. It's like something that's going to make sure that you are going to be financially secure and your family, you know, in the future is going to be stable. Uh, so you're, you're going to be able to provide for yourself and your family. And then you can do whatever else you want. Uh, I, of course, I I personally believe that uh, that model, while uh, it, it plays safe and is good, sometimes what it leads to is a dilution of passion because you end up seeing people who are involved trying to do all this other stuff on the side um, and, you know, having been a part of uh, Subdrift, uh, which is Subcontinental Drift, which is a South Asian open mic. Um, yeah, we should have mentioned that. That's a good organization yeah, as well. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I got to give props to Subdrift because I performed a whole bunch of my stand-up out in D.C. at Subdrift uh, during those years that I was out in Philly, and uh, those were great audiences, and uh, it, was, it was great to see a lot of talent among South Asians come out and show their uh, show, like, Essentially, everyone had these day jobs and uh, most people were so talented when they came and they kind of displayed their, um, you know, all this other stuff that they were good at. Uh, you, you kind of wonder, it left you wondering what would ha what would have happened had uh, a lot of these people not had to go through a, uh, a, a period where they focused on 
maybe another career or other things as a safety net and then uh, actually spent more time honing in on their own art uh, or whatever their talents were, uh, that perhaps that would have led you know, uh, more of us down a different path. But again, that's, uh, you know, it's an interesting question to ponder. Uh, I've thought about it for myself and other things, because, you know, at the end of the day, if you if you are segmented or if you have many things you're trying to do, uh, you're obviously not going to be able to drill deep and give a whole bunch into one single thing. So sometimes uh, some people are able to handle that really well. And uh, for others, it's it, it becomes challenging to manage, you know, your kind of quote unquote day job and then your night job. Yeah, I remember you were you were driving down to I think the big thing were there was that you live in Philly and you were performing in DC. So you were driving down like once every couple of weeks to the the 4 hours. I remember one time I went down with you guys and it was snowing out. So you were like digging up the car, we're driving down and then you were performing in like yeah. uh in in this kind of like a cavernous uh bar and it was like an awesome experience but then like we hopped in the car and went back pretty or no we we spent the night there but i mean that that, uh, you were probably just going down and then coming back the next morning doing that a lot so that's yeah it was it was once a month and it was on a monday it was always on a monday and so like we would drive down on a sunday me and my uh uh, wife and uh yeah joined us at one time but uh, i was at this place called bohemian caverns on u street uh, and we would, you know, I would literally go there, uh, spend the night, uh, at one of my buddy's place, uh, be, wake up, work during the day. Cause I'd work from home that day. I do, I do like, uh, you know, several hours of work and then work on my gig, uh, work on a set and then go and perform. And it was, it was like an eight minute set. So if you, if you keep that in mind, it was like, you know, driving down, uh, the three plus hours, uh, sometimes traffic, whatnot, weather, uh, go there, spend the night, do, uh, work. And then just for that seven to eight minutes, uh, I was willing to do a lot, put in a lot of effort for those seven to eight minutes. Uh, but it was, it was, it was definitely something that I just loved doing. Uh, it, it was, it was amazing to be able to be on stage, and that's uh, it's it's a feeling that I've missed for a while. So, which is why I'm I'm trying to see uh, if there are ways to get back there. But, uh, but yeah, I, and a lot of people who who performed there mostly came from DC. Um, and at that time, I don't think they had it in New York yet. But there were a couple of people who came, drove down from New York even, or hopped on a uh, mega bus or something, and came down to DC just to do the gig uh, for a few minutes and then go back. So, you know, that kind of speaks to speaks volumes to how much, you know, people enjoyed that outlet, uh, I think. So I, I wanted to give a give a shout out to some of the people who were running for house seats who were on, on the panels. So Harry Aurora, he was he's a candidate for a U.S. House in Connecticut. He's running as a Republican. So there was actually a panel dedicated for Republicans because there weren't most most of the day was uh democrats and progressives and, and there's so they they had like just enough for one panel to be running as a republican but harry aurora is running in connecticut as a republican he made an impassioned plea for more indians to become republican how well that went over i, I don't know but i mean it's uh there's also shri preston kulkarni who's running for u.s house in texas um he actually said some interesting things about he he was able to raise the percentage of Asians voting Asian voters in his district from 6% to 28%. So bef- beforehand there were obviously Asians in the district but they weren't voting and he directed his campaign um in the primary to to getting people uh Asians out to vote and that included uh, recruiting volunteers in different languages that included um, just kind of modifying his pitch to make sure that it was appealing to everyone, I guess, in particular um, Asians and South Asians. So that, that was pretty, pretty cool to see that that is possible. I think that's a, that's an important piece as well, because I do believe that even though uh, you have people who are uh, you know, maybe first-time voters or new citizens. Uh, sometimes the older generations, you know, language is still a little bit of a barrier. So uh, being able to appeal to voters in uh, their uh, languages and getting them out and being able to communicate with them and having them come out to vote 
Uh, obviously, it's a little bit more of an effort, uh, but I think it's worth it uh, just because uh, getting them to engage will help them feel uh, like they're more of a part of the community. Uh, so I think that's that's pretty amazing. That 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 was a great story uh, to hear um, coming out of that uh, forum, actually. And I think that should definitely be encouraged. We should uh, make a push to have that happen more. Yeah, for sure. There's Aruna Miller who's running for U.S. House in Maryland. Um, she told an interesting story, which I actually have a audio clip from, so we may be able to include that. She was talking about how she was able to get a Republican to vote for her, who at first was really angry about her yard sign and turned it up on his lawn because he, he had a large swath of lawn that looked like it was public property. So that somebody had put a yard sign there. He got really angry and she was able to kind of like go there, uh, visit with him, talk through like why she was running. And then he, he was, he said, I won't vote for any other Democrats, but I'll vote for you. That was a pretty interesting story. There's Dr. Hill Tirpanani who, made some news because she was running in a special election, but she's going to be running again in November and in Arizona. So she's a ER, ER doc. That's her background. Yeah, uh, I did hear about her as well. I did want to bring up uh, this one point that you'd mentioned uh, just now uh, about uh, Republicans versus Democrats or progressives in general and uh, stuff within the South Asian community. And I think, uh, you know, there were uh, there were definitely, uh, as I was listening to or watching some of the videos uh, that are uploaded, uh, so, some of the folks, you know, did take a friendly shot or two uh, at uh, the other side. But they, they also, uh, a couple of the speakers made it a point to uh, talk about uh, engaging the other side and making sure that they, um, that you... You know, you really uh, wanted to reach across the aisle and uh, ensure that you uh, you talk to uh, others and uh, try to come up with like compromises and things like that. And uh, I think that's that's very important. I think uh, what ends up happening is uh, within the South Asian community, I, I believe uh, the progressive voice is pretty loud. And uh, because we've seen like the voter numbers and such that have come out. Um, but anecdotally speaking, you know, I do hear a lot of uh, South Asians, um, at least in private, expressing, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say allegiance, but I would say expressing that they were better aligned towards the Republicans. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize that there's there's definitely a section of our population that is um, that leans uh, right, leans conservative, and uh, you know I don't think it's a um, it should be taken for granted that uh, you know the South Asian population as a whole uh, will lean left. Uh, perhaps the majority do, but there's still a, a good chunk of people who. Uh, for example, uh, I've heard several people in the Bay uh, and through uh, personal knowledge of people that I know uh, who have voted, uh, who voted for Trump. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if you, uh, you'd seen that. I'm sure you did. Uh, there was, uh, and we've talked about uh, the dude uh, before, uh, I, I believe, uh, Kumar. Shailish Kumar, right? The donor. Yeah, right? yeah, the donor. And uh, they had the Hindus for Trump event. And, uh, you know, as, as strange as it is. They, they were definitely uh, pro-Trump. Uh, quite a few people in the Bay, from what I've heard, uh, voted for Trump. Uh, obviously, like there's, you know, it, it's a drop in the bucket in California, so it didn't, probably didn't matter very much. I mean, I, I think the vote split was something like 80-20 or 75-25 in Hillary's favor, and I think that's similar to the Democrat and Republican breakdown. So there's definitely... A heavy majority that are Democrat, but there's a non-trivial amount that's Republican. Uh, and this is not only South Asian. This is, we're talking about South and East Asians uh, as well, who are uh, who are kind of pro-Trump. Uh, and if you think about it, coming back to our initial uh, conversation about the engineer, lawyer, doctor uh, paradigm. Uh, the elders, if you will, get it? E-L-D. <laughs> oh, huh. I've never heard that before. Yes, because I just coined it in my mind and put it out there just oh. now. So, uh, <laughs> and I will, I will publicize it uh, for everyone who's willing to listen. Uh, so the uh, engineer, lawyer, doctor paradigm, uh, they're all professions that lead you uh, to higher income brackets. And, uh, and even uh, business owners who are uh, South and East Asian, uh, you, would, you would guess that 
they are uh, in favor of the party that allows them to keep more of their money in their pockets, which would be uh, the Republican Party. That's more prone to uh, perhaps tax cuts and uh, the idea of trickle-down economics. And, uh, you know, I think that translates well within the community. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, the 75-25 split, I, I don't know if that was a if that was based on uh, polls that were taken, I'm guessing that's the, those were polls taken after people voted and uh, they were asked who, who do they vote for or whatnot. And uh, this is just... I mean, I think the numbers are generally around there. I've seen multiple numbers, um, both in terms of the, the election and in general, like registration and stuff I like see. that. So okay. I, think, I think that's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty... That's a number I would... Uh, is, is it fairly accurate? See something very, yeah, I think it's I think it's fairly accurate. Okay. Ballpark. Yeah, Ballpark. yeah. Yeah. So so I mean, but you know, it, it's a, it it is interesting because you know you, especially people who are more aligned towards uh, the current Indian government, which is Modi's government, uh, the BJP, uh, who are more conservative, uh, and uh, you know, there's I don't uh, if you. I don't know if you remember a couple things. When Modi got elected, uh, there was definitely a, a good chunk of uh, progressives uh, out in America, uh, progressive South Asians who were against Modi because of the Gujarat riots and things like that and his general record. And in fact... Well, Modi wasn't even, before he became prime minister, he wasn't even allowed to enter America. So it wasn't just progressives. It was uh, general U.S. Policy that held him responsible for the Gujarat riots and yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so uh, so but even then when Modi actually won uh, they I remember seeing this video of Times Square in New York where Modi supporters came out to celebrate the win and there was a large number of people a very large number of people who came out and celebrated Modi's win. Uh, when Modi came to America, uh, I believe he came and he was, I think he spoke at uh, Madison Square Garden. That's right. He sold out Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Sold out Madison Square Garden. Um, and that, you know, it, it, it obviously like you, you would have to think about whether what percentage of those people uh, are citizens versus, uh, uh, you know, perhaps they're on their way to being citizens. They're immigrants or they've been here a while. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's very, very interesting to see. Uh, it, and, and I think, you know, this, this is something that uh, maybe Republicans should uh, think about uh, and not to. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, <laughs> there should be a shift in uh, support or anything. But I'm just saying that uh, from a Republican standpoint, uh, what's even more perplexing in terms of their zeal to essentially cut down on the H-1B program. Yeah, in H-4, I think H-4 is the one that the spousal visa and then also family reunification, calling that chain migration and trying to uh, get rid of that. I think Pamela J. Paul had a good line where she said uh, something like 80% of Indians in America came in through family reunification. And um, if they're saying like, quote unquote, merit-based is the way to go, then they're saying that we don't have merit. As a community, right, uh, but right, which is which is odd, and and my point is that uh, Republicans should understand also that because of this kind of nationalistic fervor and this kind of move to the right of Indian politics itself as a whole and in, in seemingly Indian society, uh, it, there's uh, they are essentially going to be drafting uh, if they let's say improve H one uh, uh, wait times and things like that, they're essentially getting free votes uh, that are coming in. Um, that, that will help them in the community. They're taking away percentages from the Democrats. Uh, from what I know, the Indian community tends to, uh, or South Asian community in general, tends to kind of uh, throw its weight behind, you know, the party or people who help them. And so far, the Democratic Party has uh, spoken loud uh, in favor, uh, whereas uh, I think the Republicans are uh, losing uh, track of that. Uh, and that's true of uh, Latinos. That's true of uh, many other groups where uh, I think the xenophobic arm of the party is uh, isolating uh, their potential uh, increase uh, in, in into these uh, voter groups that they could probably see. Uh, I, I think the Democratic Party will will take that. And they'll be they'll be fine with it. Uh, they're totally okay with uh, the Republicans, uh, you know, I, trying to uh, kind of alienate these groups. Uh, and uh, and I think Democrats do understand that, and they they know that 
you know, it not not obviously not just speaking of this from a, a political standpoint or from voters, but also from just a, a humane perspective of being able to uh, treat people a certain way. I mean, this, these are all things and that's what's crazy right now in this current uh, environment is. I don't understand why uh, we can't get past the xenophobia. I think it's something that the Republican Party, by and large, is familiar with. Um, maybe it's some people align with those types of comments more than others, but it's definitely something that's not totally out of left field for the Republican Party. But at the same time, I think the other point that you made, that the economics point, is – also interesting, and that's the case that uh, Harry Aurora, who's running for Congress in Connecticut, was ma- making, was that Indian Americans are a hardworking, quote-unquote, immigrant community that uh, has done well for itself economically, small business-wise, and Republicans are also known as the party that's more friendly towards um, business interests just in in general. So those are the two um, forces that are kind of competing against each other. Do, are you going to think of yourself more as a person who is an immigrant and look out for other people who are in a similar situation? Or are you going to think of yourselves as a um, business owner and look out for other people who are also successful business owners. So that's kind of the competing interest. Right, there. and and it becomes really hard to make that, um, make the plea and make the case for that uh, mindset or appeal to that side of things when the party is, uh, the Republican Party is very blatantly saying, no, we don't want more people of color, we don't want uh, immigrants, we don't, uh, we don't think, uh, they add value, and uh, their their numbers. I mean, you can you can just go out there and look at numbers, right? Like there's uh, something like forty percent of new businesses or startups. I think something like that in the valley are started by um, uh, immigrants, uh, or even higher than that. Uh, you know, you have uh, the CEOs of Google and Microsoft. Sundar Pichai and Satya Nadella uh, of Indian descent. The CEO of Pepsi, Indra Nui, she was. Um, you know, obviously of South Asian descent. Uh, so, you know, you have uh, such a large, uh, successful uh, community that is that that definitely would align with some of the Republican principles, uh, except they just can't seem to get their uh, foot out of their mouths long enough to court these other groups. Uh, and, you know, and the, and the reason why when I'm like bringing this up and saying this is because you know, it comes back to the idea of shared values and and the idea of who we are as as a whole and as people. Uh, America, as we all know, has just been it, it's a it's a country made up of immigrants, and you know, obviously, this has been something that ev- other groups have faced in the past. And I think it's just uh, and maybe it'd be good to highlight this to uh, the people on the right or the far right, um, especially if they're of Irish descent, if they're of you know if they're Catholic. Um, you know, there are a lot of these groups that uh, when they came in, when they immigrated back uh, in you know the twenties, thirties, forties in America, they were shunned or they were uh, looked down upon. And they, you know, kind of came out of that and, you know, assimilated. Now, it was maybe uh, easier or people have forgotten about it now because everyone uh, being of Caucasian descent, uh, there's there's less visible differences. Whereas with people of color, obviously, there's like a there's a visual difference, I suppose. And uh, but but it may be good to remind um, the general population that, hey, this is what happened, you know, in the past. And this was our history. And this is where we've come. And that the, the difference in all these immigrants coming in and coming to America because they believed in like the idea of like free markets, the idea of capitalism, the idea of being able to do well for yourself, um, you know, work hard and you'll you'll get you you know you'll live the American dream. Uh, I think we need to emphasize that again, uh, and not necessarily again. And, and I believe in uh, Pramila Jaipal mentioned that is like we shouldn't think of things as a Democrat or Republican or just a political alignment. It's America, the idea of America uh, aligning with American principles, uh, in and you know being being able to think about what this country stands for and 
you know, saying, okay, well, we may believe in different ways of how we can all be successful, but at the end of the day, we all want America to be successful. And that's always true. You know, any person coming here, um, you know, however you feel about, uh, you know, legal or illegal immigration, they're coming here for a better life. And uh, being able to offer that to people uh, is something, is, is a good way of empowering them and empowering yourself as a country and as a society. Uh, because we come in and, you know, at the end of the day, you want to work hard, you know, having grown up in the Middle East um, and, you know, seeing, having seen some of the stuff in India and, and the lack of opportunity, maybe to some extent, uh, this country is like provided so much for me personally, uh, that I think uh, any immigrant would, if you ask them, they would, you know, they're not coming here for just for, you know, you know, kicks, uh, leaving your family behind and coming over to a different country, like thousands of miles away, especially uh, several years ago, when technology hadn't caught up and made it easy for people to communicate back, uh, it, it it was it was such a it, you know it's such a uh, a big thing to do, and I, and I think like people need to understand that people are coming here for America, the country, and it's not you know I, I, this narrative of like immigrants are coming here to you know take all our stuff and spoil things. Like no, we're here to help build this country and make it successful. It, that I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's what we're trying to do as a whole. Uh, and I think that that message gets lost in all this like uh, unnecessary hate and uh, fear mongering, and it's it's just silly. Okay, I, I, I like the um, kind of the patriotic message to end on. Should we should we jump to the uh, pardon the interruption style? Sure. Yeah. So so let's let's kind of quick intro. Uh, I, I guess like our our idea is to try to see how uh, we can just do a quick. Uh, format where we bring a couple topics to the table each, uh, and then uh, we try to see how uh, try to do a quick rundown instead of this, especially me with the long-winded stuff. And they, they, I don't think they have to. So I just wrote down some ideas. I don't think they have to be totally relevant to what we were talking about. Why don't you Why don't you go first? What's your first uh, question? My first topic is fitting with the pardon the interruption theme. What do you think about the Golden State Warriors? I think the Golden State Warriors uh, are somewhat misunderstood. Uh, definitely Kevin Durant coming in changed the equation. Uh, I, I think they're a great team. They have great vibes. They do things right. They're a really big part of the community. They play for each other. They play really great as a team. Uh, but I think uh, I, I would have to say that uh, I, I think it's it's a little, uh, little tilted uh, in the sense that I, I don't think it was the right thing for Katie to come here not because I mean he's a it makes he made his personal choice uh, but personally I think it, it it's made a, it's made a big difference in the league uh, but I I don't see that it kind of felt differently when uh, the Eagles won as opposed to when the Warriors won right I know that you're an Eagles fan so that's uh even though you're in the Bay now I think you felt a little more hype about that one yeah. than you do about the yeah, Warriors. Yeah, I, I, I felt nothing when the Warriors won. Um, I, 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 I just have to say, you know, I, I'm being honest, you know, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the Warriors. So, uh, I mean, kudos to them. We just lost half of our audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's good it's good for them that they won. Obviously, it's it's, it's a great win. Uh, and I think the one thing that people have to understand is the difference from uh, when LeBron went to Miami uh, was that uh, obviously LeBron, uh, Bosch, and uh, Wade came together and kind of put to, put this team together, whereas here, uh, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, uh, a lot of these guys were not, uh, when they were drafted, they were not really meant to be all-stars. They, they became all-stars. They became really great. Um, and they're, they cha- they've changed the style of play in the league as a whole. Uh, so I, I, I think uh, definitely the, the KD coming over kind of really tipped things in their favor uh, in terms of building a dynasty. Uh, but I think they're they're kind of a homegrown team, and in, in that sense, it's hard to fault them. All right. So what's your what's your topic? My topic is uh, I guess it's still it, it was still more political, but she's two choices. Okay, you gotta rank these two things: number one and number two. Okay. Uh, what what's worse? Okay. In your opinion, at the moment, the uh, fervent nationalism of the right in India or the fervent nationalism of the right in the U.S. I, w- I would say the U.S. just because it has more global implications. And because I'm not following Indian politics as closely as you are, I think. Um, at, at least not not at the moment. But I, I know that the only thing I hear about 
um, the Indian right is out here that um, there's there's a riot here or there's a the killing here. So and I know that kind of thing, like hate crimes, it sounds like are on the, the rise, not only in India and America. It, it seems like it's a pretty global phenomenon, but just kind of ironic that nationalism is a global phenomenon, but it seems like that is what it is. I, I'd say the, uh, to give you a little bit more, maybe I believe there's a lot more people that have been killed uh, of late I would say in the last year or so in India uh, by nationalists uh, over people who have been, look, there's been violence, but I think as far as like people losing their lives, uh, I think a lot more people are losing their lives in India uh, than they are here at the hands of extremists. What's your next one? My second one is the theory that I've been going on about. I just wanted to get your take on it. Uh, Nikki Haley and Kamala Harris could be running against each other not in this election, which some people are saying I think is out of left field, but I think in 2028, do you think that's a possibility in America that they could theoretically win the their respective parties? I think it would be very hard uh, for Nikki Haley or, and Kamala Harris to both win their party nomination where we see a, an all-female race. All female, all South Asian American. Right. All Indian right. American. I, I, I think it would be very hard to see that happen. 2028, why not 2024? I have my reasons, but I think that's a little too much. for Maybe maybe that'll be a separate podcast and we'll go through the, my theory in, in detail. But just like, do you think the country would be ready for that in 2020? I think in, in 10 years, I would like to believe that we'd be pa- past a point where we'd be able to look at them objectively as candidates. And if they spoke to uh, what the interests were of the country were, that they could potentially win. But uh, I would, if I had to pick a yes or no, I would say no. Uh, I just don't think this country is there yet. I think we have so many things to heal and work on uh, after the orange genius in office at the moment. So you think specifically their race and gender would hold them yes. back? Even Kamala Harris, you yes. don't think she's a possibility for... No. Okay. No, I, I, I don't, I don't share that enthusiasm. I know there are a lot of people who, who, who believe that either uh, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker could uh, make a run, uh, even in twenty twenty, and I, I just don't see how that's, how that's even possible. I think Booker could make a run in twenty twenty. I think it's, uh, given what happened to Hillary in the last election, I think it would be, uh, tough for the, to, the Democrats to. I, I think Elizabeth Warren might contend. In 2020, I think it might come down to Booker and Warren, but that's just my thinking. Oh, if if it's if it's going to be Booker or Warren against Trump, I think Trump's going to win. That that's just my that's just what I think. Uh, it, so I don't think they're either of them are strong candidates. But yeah, but to your question, uh, no, I don't think uh, Kamala Harris or uh, Nikki Haley. You were would so be able optimistic to... ten ten minutes ago about the patriotism. Or we're all coming to America. Well, I, I'm just I'm just being practical about what I think is going to happen. Uh, I, I get it. I could be wrong. I'm just you know just just to give you a thought. Like yeah, we we can definitely dive in deeper. Maybe we maybe we should really do an episode about this. But uh, but yeah, my my take would be that I don't think the country is going to be ready. Uh, we weren't ready for uh, Barack, but that would be one reason. Maybe it just happens and we're, we're just okay with it, but, uh, it'd be very hard, very hard. All right. I think we, uh, covered everything we wanted to. We went through the whole evolution of South Asian, uh, organizations in America in our experience. And obviously the impact forum, uh, which was, uh, which was pretty great and really, uh, we'll definitely keep a close eye on it and see how that develops. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the PTI take was fun. All right. On that note, take care everyone. See you guys next time. Catch y'all later.